Good morning. Ready to get into the Word? All right, we're going to do it. For all five of you who said yes, we are in. The rest of you are just along for the ride. Uh, Revelation 2, Acts chapter 19, if you have your Bible. My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. If you're new here, I'll be at the door, around the door, on your way out. would love to meet you um, on your way out. But we live in a, uh, just a time of instant, convenient communication, don't we? I mean, it's pretty easy to get a hold of people. Like, if I wanted to talk to you, all I have to do is call you, and within seconds, no matter, almost no matter where you are in the world, um, I, we could be talking on the phone uh, pretty quick. I, I could call you, but, I mean, like, I, I could call you, but I wouldn't call you, right? Uh, because if I wanted to get some information to you or tell you something, I would just, what? I'd text you. I text you. Um, we live in this age of instant, convenient communication with texting and social media and with email and cell phones and, and whatever else. It's so easy to get a hold of people and to say things to people. But not too long ago, if you wanted to write happy birthday to somebody, if you wanted to write a happy birthday message to somebody, uh, you wouldn't pile it on with 300 of their closest friends on Facebook. You wouldn't do that. Uh, if you wanted to write happy birthday, you would have had to send a card to them. You remember those days? Crazy days, right? Where you had to like stamp envelopes and like have some stamps on hand at home for when you wanted to send things. And you had to actually mail things. We used to send birthday cards. Now we send birthday texts or birthday Facebook messages. And I get it. I mean, I'm not anti-text. I'm far from it. Like when somebody calls me, when I get a call from somebody I know, it freaks me out. Like I look at my phone, I'm like, ah, why are they calling me? Like this must be serious. Otherwise, they would have texted, right? I'm always wondering after I get off the phone with somebody, like, could we have had that conversation over text? I'm pretty sure we could have. I'm an introvert at heart. I want to get information to you. No, no need for pleasantries or small talk or anything like that. I know it makes me very endearing as your pastor, but it's just the way I am. I'd rather just send you something. If it gets serious, we'll talk on the phone uh, sometime. But texting, I'm usually in for, for some texting. So I get it, uh, but what's interesting is that in our age of instant, convenient communication, something that's actually written down, put in an envelope, addressed, stamped, and mailed, really stands out, doesn't it? I mean, it really stands out. Like, you, you really, you know, start to, start to notice when people actually send you envelopes with your name on them. Like when I get an envelope in the mail and it's got my name on it, I get excited about it. Like, whoa, somebody took the time to write something to me and actually send it. This is going to be awesome. And so I get it out and I, I open it and I read it as quickly as I can because I want to see what's in it. Like this one says, um, we've been trying to get a hold of you to increase your car insurance coverage, your car warranty coverage. It's pretty awesome, right? And so you love it when you see something written on the outside of the envelope, your name on it, man. You, you go grab it. I, I love getting, getting mail um, nowadays because we just don't get a lot of it. Not, not junk mail, but personal mail. And I will tell you that I have, or I save encouraging letters that I get uh, from people. I, I save those. I don't want this to be a pity party, and I definitely don't want you to send me a letter. Uh, but but as a pastor, being a pastor is hard. I know your job's hard too, but being a pastor is, is, not, is not easy uh, when, 
We talked about spiritual warfare last week uh, on Sunday, and if you missed that, go grab it online. Make sure you listen to it. But when you, when you become a pastor and you get really, or, or in any other way, you get really loud about reaching the lost and, and seeing people transformed by Jesus and multiplying God's church, then you put a target on your back, and our very real enemy, the devil, comes at you, and he's not playing around. And I, I don't know if you know this. This might surprise you, but the devil not only uses, like, murderers and like drug dealers and gangsters to, to attack people, he uses really, really sweet-looking church people. Like probably the person sitting next to you, just look at them. Just be like, is it you? I mean, is it you? Is, is this you? No. But it, so I, when I get an encouraging letter, like pastors are criticized. Everything I do at, is, is criticized. Is look, not... That's, that's not the right thing to say. I mean, can we edit that out? Not everything I do is criticized, but uh, pastors get criticized a lot because after all, like, why, you know, how hard could it be, right? Everybody can hear from God and read the Bible. This is easy stuff. Right? So he's not, you know, if he's not doing what you want him to do, then you should probably tell him that. And so when I get an encouraging letter, a written letter, I save those things. I have a drawer in my desk that I put these encouraging letters, and on dark days, I pull one of those out, and I'm lifted up and encouraged by the words that I find there. I save those. I, I like encouraging texts and encouraging Facebook messages. I appreciate those, but I, I can't really save them. I guess I could, like, print them from my phone or something, but I don't have a printer, so I don't know how to do that. And so I, I don't really save those, but I, man, you write me a letter, that stands out. That stands out. I'm going to save that. If there's an encouraging letter written to me, that's special. That's different. I, imagine if I came in today and I said, I said, we got a letter. Well, we got a letter, guys. Great Oaks got a letter. And you're like, Who, who's it from? And I'm like, Jesus. Jesus wrote us a letter. We got a letter from Jesus, that's what happened in 95 AD to seven churches. They got a letter from Jesus. They got a, a letter from Jesus. Imagine it. That, wouldn't that be pretty cool? Get a letter from Jesus? Maybe. Right? Kind of depends on what the letter says. It's like getting called into the principal's office. Like, could go bad, <laughs> could go good. I'm just saying, a letter from Jesus could go bad, right? It could, it could maybe, like, and if you knew you were going to get a letter from Jesus, you'd probably, you'd probably live a little differently than you're living, right? I'm just, maybe, I don't know, I don't know you, but maybe you'd live a little differently than you're living right now if you knew you were going to get a letter. Like, some of the people in these seven churches were probably like, what? Who, I didn't know we were getting letters from Jesus. Like, did you know Jesus was sending letters from heaven? Because if I'd have known Jesus was sending letters from heaven to our church, we'd have done some things differently. We would have lived differently. But Jesus had a specific message for each of these seven churches, and he didn't want them to, to miss it. I mean, he could have got these messages to these churches in a, in a plethora of ways, but he chose to write it down, have it written down and delivered to them so that they wouldn't Miss it because if you want somebody to really see and get what you're saying, you, you write it down and you send them a letter. You, you send them a letter. That's what Jesus did. And I think he did that not just for them, but for us so that we could see these letters later and see what he encouraged the churches in and see how he corrected them and see how, what their problems were. And then we could maybe grow from that. 
I think these letters are written not just to the church at Ephesus and Laodicea and Smyrna and all these, but also written to the church at Great Oaks. I think that because at the end of every letter, all seven letters in the same way, Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Seven times, over and over. So what he's saying is that this is to anyone who will take the time to listen. Anyone who is humble enough to receive Christ's correction. Anyone who is wise enough to heed his warnings. So these letters were written around 95 AD by the apostle John. He was exiled to the island of Patmos and he was in prison writing letters and writing things at least, some letters. And and then he had this bona fide vision from Jesus. Jesus actually showed up and he had this vision and it's, it was this crazy long vision and he, he wrote it down. Jesus told him to write it down and to send it out to the churches. And, and we call that vision today the book of Revelation. So the apostle John is writing this down. Jesus is dictating it. He's telling him what to write and he's writing it down. And the book of Revelation is full of a bunch of crazy stuff, Right? I mean, it's full of dragons and beasts with ten horns and the four horsemen of the apocalypse and, and all this crazy stuff. So what we're not going to do in our Dear Church series is study any of that. I'm sorry to let you down. We've got that scheduled for an, a, a, a series, a preaching series on the end times. We'll get into that. But this series, we're going to zero in on these seven letters at the beginning of the book of Revelation. But I know like some of you only came to church today because you heard the word revelation. And you were like, yeah, like two things draw a bunch of people to church. A message series on sex or a message series on the end times. Those two things, I don't know what it is, but those two things will get people to show up. And so we're not doing a message series on the end times, but I know some of you, don't leave, okay? I know some of you just came for that, so I'm gonna give you the cliff notes of the book of Revelation. Are you ready? Here's the cliff notes. Here's what you wanna know from the book of Revelation. Jesus is coming back. And a lot of intense things are gonna happen right before that. And you should live today like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Here's, here's an even better way. Maybe you should write this down or tweet it or something. But here's the cliff notes of the book of Revelation. Don't play hide and seek with Jesus. It's just not a good idea. Because you do not want to be hiding from Jesus and Jesus go, ready or not, here I come. That will go bad. That will go bad. Don't play hide and seek with Jesus. That's the cliff notes of the book of Revelation. So I don't even think we need to do that series on the end times. That's probably good enough. So in this new Dear Church series that we're in right now, starting today, we're going to study Revelation 2 and 3, these seven letters to the seven different churches in the ancient world that Jesus dictated to the Apostle John. And so each of these churches is in a different series, or a different city, I should say, uh, in and around uh, what was called Asia at the time. And so they're all pretty short, like memos, really short little memos to these uh, churches. 
And in each of these letters, Jesus, he issues some correction, he issues a warning, um, he, he issues some encouragement, and so th there's a lot going on in these letters uh, that's very similar to one another. And so to make it abundantly clear, the reason that we are studying these seven letters written to some of the first churches ever to exist is so that maybe we can learn some things that you and I as Christ followers in 2019 can put into practice, and Great Oaks as a church can put into practice. Are you tracking with me? So that, that's the reason we're looking at these letters. So let's read the first one. Um, it's to the church at Ephesus. But if we have ears to hear, then it can be to the church at Great Oaks as well. So we got a letter in the mail. It's from Jesus. Here's what it says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Okay, let's just hit the brakes right there. You're like, what? This is a weird way to start a letter. Yeah, so the, the New Testament was written in Greek uh, originally, and so the Greek word for angel here is the same word for messenger. And so we don't know if this is talking about like a, like a real angel in heaven who has some kind of charge over the church at Ephesus, or it's talking about uh, the human leader of the church, a messenger. Both are messengers, and so it's hard to tell which one it is. I, I lean towards it's a human leader because uh, otherwise, uh, you know, there's some correction and some things to do and things like that, and I don't think it really applies to an angel. So I'm just throwing that out there. But you could believe that it's an angel. We don't know. Could be a, could be a human messenger. Could be an angel. Then he talks about stars and lampstands. So I'm going to give you a little key as we study this, this uh, letter and other letters, too, in Revelation 2 and 3. Uh, the stars, the seven stars, are the angels or the messengers over the churches. Okay, that's the seven stars. Seven stars are the angels and the messengers. And the lampstands are the churches themselves. Okay? So what are the stars? The angels, the messengers. And what are the lampstands? The churches. And so... At the beginning of each of these letters, there's this description of the risen Christ, which is what we just read. This description of Jesus, risen from the dead. He's doing something, saying something. He is something. And so in this one, it says that he holds the seven stars, the messengers, the angels, holds them in his hand. That means that he's the one who guides them. He's the one who leads them. He's the one who is ultimately sovereign over the leaders of each of these churches. He's the head of the church. Okay, so he holds those in his hand. Then he says, he walks among the seven golden lampstands. What are the lampstands? The churches. And so he's saying, he's near to the churches. He's saying, I'm here. I'm here at, I'm near to the churches. I didn't, I didn't go to heaven and leave the churches alone without me. He's going, I, I'm walking among the golden lampstands. I'm near to the church. And that's true, true for us too at Great Oaks. He's not far off. He's near uh, to us. Look at the next part here, starting in verse 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Okay. So Jesus starts off in this letter to the church at Ephesus with some encouragement, right? I mean, the church at Ephesus had some really good things going for it. Like, if you didn't, if you didn't know the rest of this text, you'd be like, man, this sounds like a church that's getting it done. 
I mean, this sounds like a church that's doing some really good things. I mean, they patiently endure the pressure from culture and the devil coming against them. They do not tolerate evil in their, in their midst, meaning that they don't allow men and women to stick around in the church and cause problems and cause division. And then what's really incredible about the church at Ephesus is that they have seen apostles, false apostles, come in and teach false doctrine and they've stood the test. They've withstood the test. They've been able to say, no, that's not true. So what Jesus is saying is that they know him well enough. They know his truth well enough. They know his Bible, his scriptures well enough that when false teaching has come in and apostles who are not really apostles have come in, they've gone, nah, that sounds good. That tickles the ears. That's half true. But in the end, it's false. They've withstood this test against false teaching. They don't hide from truth in the name of tolerance like most or many churches in our time do. They don't compromise the truth to get along with others and avoid confrontation like many uh, in our church do. Not this church, but all churches, the big C church of the day uh, do. They are securely founded in the truth. They don't change their opinions and beliefs of scripture uh, because of something their cousin or their son or their daughter or, 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 or a scientist says. They know what truth is and where to get it. They are secure in the truth. And in all of this, they've not grown weary. They've, they've not given up. They've stayed the course. I mean, this sounds like a church I'd like to go to. I mean, I bet they got some really great kids programs at Ephesus. Don't you think? I mean, I, I bet the music, the worship music at Ephesus is like Goldilocks. Like not too loud, not too quiet. Just right. I mean, I bet it's a great church with great music and great programs. Sounds like a, a church I'd like to go to. I mean, they got a letter from Jesus, and to this point, they got to be encouraged. They've got to be going like, yeah, all right. Jesus likes our church. Like, what now, Smyrna? Right? Like, what now, Laodicea? I mean, Jesus sent us a letter. I don't know if you got a letter, but he sent us a letter, and he said, we're doing these things really, really well, but Jesus didn't stop there. He says, all this good stuff, you toil with patient endurance, which is great. You don't tolerate evil men, which is awesome. You've tested false teaching and come out on the right side of it, A+. You've even bore some, some suffering for my namesake. That is amazing. But I have this one thing against you, and it's, it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. Look at verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned the love you had at first. You lost your first love. I heard a chapel speaker talk about this in college way back in the day, and uh, it changed the way that I read this letter, and so I want to pass on some of what he said, but one of the things that he did say uh, was that historically, what I'm supposed to do as a preacher, when I read this whole, you lost your first love thing, is just to say, ah, your first love is Jesus, 
So just go love Jesus more. That's what this is saying. Just go love Jesus more. And all of us get up at the end of the service and we go, yeah, we're all going to go love Jesus more. And it means nothing. It means nothing. It's too ambiguous. We don't know what it means. We just get excited. Yeah, we're going to love Jesus more. But we love when things are so ambiguous, right? We, we love that stuff because when it's this ambiguous cliche that, that doesn't actually require anything from us, then we don't actually have to do anything, and it's just, it's just easier that way, right? What some have called bumper sticker theology, like the bread of life never grows stale. What does that mean? Nothing. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Jesus is my co-pilot. You're in the wrong seat. You're in the wrong seat. It means, it means nothing, right? It means, like we, we think it means something. It doesn't mean anything. What about this one? Jesus doesn't answer email, but he answers me-mail. Take that off your car. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. We love these vague cliches because they don't actually require anything from us. So just love Jesus more. Just go out and love Jesus more. How do we do that? I don't know. But the Bible, that's what it's saying. It's saying first love is Jesus. So just go love Jesus more. Well, if you stop right there, you might think that that's what this letter from Jesus in Revelation 2 is saying. But let me give you the most important Bible study, Bible understanding, Bible reading principle that you'll ever have. If you want to learn the Bible, understand the Bible in its context to, to really get what Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you the most important principle you can put into practice. I thought saying most important a bunch of times would get somebody to get a pen out, but I guess that's, it's cool because you guys memorize everything I say. It's totally fine. Here it is. You ready for the most important Bible reading principle you'll ever use? Here it is. Keep reading. Just keep reading. Don't stop reading when something tickles your fancy or gets you excited or makes you think you learned something new. Continue to read. Before you post it, before you put it on a bumper sticker, make sure you keep reading. In Revelation 2, Jesus doesn't leave it at you forgot your first love, go love Jesus more. That's not what he leaves that. Before we even get into that, though, don't miss what just got said. What Jesus just said in this letter is that you can be doing all the right things and still be wrong. You can be doing all the right things and still miss the point of it all. You can patiently endure and not tolerate evil and refute false doctrine and suffer for Jesus and still miss the point of it all. And that's a pretty terrifying idea to me. Let's keep reading. Jesus said, you've abandoned your first love, but he's not going to leave us there in this ambiguous, like, what does that mean and how do we change that? He says in verse 5, he gets really specific, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. 
which I also hate. The Nicolaitans were a false religion coming in, twisting the truth of Scripture, drawing people away. More on them later because they show up in another letter that we'll be studying in the next few weeks. But he gives, Jesus does, some very clear instruction here in this letter. What did he say to do? He said, remember, repent, and do the things you did at first. Remember, repent, and do the things you did at first. And then he issues a warning. Most of these seven letters have a warning in them from Jesus. Jesus goes, if you don't get back here, if you don't go back to your first love and do the things you did at first and repent, then then I'm going to remove the lampstand from you. What's the lampstand? It's the church. So Jesus is going, you will cease to be a church. You will cease to be a part of my body. If you don't get back here, you will cease to be a church. You may look good on the outside. You may have some great programs going on and Goldilocks music. And you may also be looked at from other churches. And and they're saying, man, we need to do more of what they're doing. You may have all of that. But if you don't get back here, you will cease to be the light. You will not be the light any longer. I will remove your lampstand. It's a pretty serious warning, isn't it? I mean, a lot is at stake. Now, now follow me here. Imagine you got this letter. You did get this letter. It's in Revelation 2. But imagine you're the first recipients of it. You're a part of the church at Ephesus. Your pastor gathers you together and he goes, we got a letter. We got a letter from Jesus. And he reads the letter, and the letter says that if you don't do the things you did at first, you're not going to be a church anymore. You're not going to have the grace and the, the power to be the church of Jesus anymore. You, you, the, the light will be taken from you. If you don't get back and do the things you did at first, you're not going to be a church anymore. If you're sitting in there listening to this letter read, what's the question that comes to your mind? I mean, what's the first thing you're going, what, I mean, what's the million-dollar question here? Wouldn't you be like, hey, uh, pastor, what thing is he talking about? What, what's the thing we need to get back to doing? What's that thing we did at first? We, I, I remember doing a lot of things in the beginning of our church. Like what, what's the thing that he's talking about doing at first? It seems like a pretty important question since the, so much is at stake here, right? For us and for the church at Ephesus. Well, I've got good news. This is not the only time that the church at Ephesus shows up in the Bible. Um, it shows up a bunch of other times, right? Not just in Revelation chapter uh, 2. Uh, where else do they appear? Do you know, like in the Bible? The gimme answer, Ephesians, thank you. The, the, the letter of Ephesians to the Ephesus church, that's a, that, that's a different letter written by the Apostle Paul to the same church before John wrote his letter or, or wrote down what Jesus uh, said in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, so Ephesus, it shows up in Ephesus. It also shows up in the book of Acts. Uh, so turn with me to Acts 19. We're going to look at that, Acts 19. As you turn there, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about the ancient church of Ephesus, and, or the, I'm sorry, the ancient city of Ephesus. 
So this city was considered large at the time. It was this sprawling metropolis of its day. Um, it was always in competition with another city to be the first in Asia, the first, the best city in Asia. The other city is next week's letter, Smyrna. So those two cities were always in competition with each other. Ephesus was a very dark pagan place. It had the temple of Artemis, which is where uh, human sacrifice happened periodically and sex with temple prostitutes. And it was just this very, very dark pagan place. And the apostle Paul loved it there. We know he loved it because he stayed there longer than any other place, any other city on his missionary journeys. And God did some amazing, like, supernatural miracles through the Apostle Paul to establish the church at Ephesus. And and the church at Ephesus becomes like a, a leading church of the time. And that's like a rock star church because the Apostle Paul is there a long time to establish it. The Apostle John becomes the elder, like the leader over the churches in Ephesus and around Ephesus. And then a guy you've heard of, Timothy, who studied under Paul, becomes an elder in Ephesus. And so this is this powerhouse of a church. So let's look at how this church began. Because our question is, what are the things they did at first? Jesus says, get back to the things you did at first. What are those things? Verse 17 of Acts 19. The background here is that miracles are happening And people's lives were being transformed. It says in 17, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Verse 18, Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Okay, so, so this is the very beginning of the church at Ephesus. Jesus said, remember, repent, get back to what you did at first. So what was the thing that they did at the very beginning? In this very dark pagan, evil place, what we have is people coming and openly confessing their dark, evil deeds, the sin in their lives, and very literally burning it out of their lives so they don't go back to it. I mean, it was this really honest, really gritty, really amazing thing. This really amazing thing, the thing they did at first was to go, I am messed up. I am wicked. I've been a part of some wicked, evil things, and I need help, Jesus. I need Jesus' help. And then they tossed stuff into the fire and burned it. Whatever would tether them to that evil life, they burned it. It was honest, risky, and raw, and real. And then in the 40 years, from Acts 19 to Revelation 2, they went from that honest, real, raw, risky confession of dark deeds done in secret, they went from that to being able to refute false doctrine, 
not tolerate evil men. Hold the line against culture and endure some suffering for Jesus. They, in that 40 years from Acts 19 to Revelation 2, they got, they got pretty. They got traditionalized, institutionalized, civilized. They got pretty. They went from we are messed up, we're jacked up, and we need Jesus to, hey, we got some things figured out, and that over there ain't right. They went from that to all the things we saw in Revelation 2, all external things, by the way. And so serious is this change from Acts 19 to Revelation 2 that Jesus writes him a letter. A miraculous, he, he goes through this miraculous process to write them a letter to say it's great that you know the truth. It's great that you don't tolerate evil. It's great that you refute false doctrine. It's great that you hold the line against culture. But if you miss the point of it all, that you're wicked and evil and you need me, then you'll cease to be a church. The light will be snuffed out in Ephesus. Get back to your first love. First love is Jesus. How? Well, do the things you did at first. What things? Confess the secret sin, the darkness in your life openly. Get it out into the light. Well, Jesus, we thought we already did that. We thought we already did that. Jesus is going, you did. And you need to do it again. And again. And again. And again. Because the mark of someone who truly loves Jesus is ongoing repentance. That's how you get back there. Never-ending repentance. It's this continual honesty before God, confessing, asking for help, moving away from sin over and over and over. Listen, beloved, if you're a Christ follower, there is no time when you arrive. There's no time where you make it until you meet Jesus in heaven. There is no time where you're like, boom, I'm finally here. I, haven't, I don't have any sin. I don't have any problems anymore. There's no such thing. You will not be rid of sin completely until you meet Jesus in heaven. So then, there's not a time in your life where you shouldn't be repenting of the darkness in it. Because listen, you, you've got sin in you. I've got sin in me. The only choice we have is either to hide it or confess it. That's it. You either hide it or you confess it. And before, before you decide to keep hiding it, just look at, look at one more scripture with me. Psalm 32. It'll be on the screen. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
Blessed is the man, fortunate is the man who can stand before God an open book. Blessed is the woman, fortunate is the woman who, whose spirit has no deceit, no hiding, no masks, no lies. Blessed is that man, blessed is that woman. Fortunate are they who are honest about their sin, get it out of the darkness and into the light to be dealt with. And now you're going like, how could it be? I mean, it's hard to believe, right? Because you're thinking about the, the, the darkness in you. You're thinking about the secret sin, the sin that you don't tell anybody about. Whether it's in the past or it's ongoing sin. But you're thinking about that sin and you're going, I don't see the upside. I don't see the upside to confessing this to anybody. Being honest about this, the consequences are too great. I, I can't, I gotta stuff this down. I gotta hide this. I gotta put the mask on. But look at the next two verses. It, it explains why. Like I said, just keep reading. Verse three For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of. Summer. So here's why it's better to come clean. Because secrets are exhausting. Hiding is exhausting. It takes a lot of energy to hide within oneself. And that's energy that God has given you to accomplish other things. That's essence that God has given you to do something else, to be someone else. It's energy that God gave you to be the dad you're supposed to be, to be the mom you're supposed to be, to be the husband or wife you're supposed to be. That's energy that he's given you to be the son, daughter, sister, brother that you're supposed to be. It's vitality and energy than time that he's given you to be the engineer you're supposed to be, to be the construction foreman you're supposed to be, the teacher, the manager you're supposed to be, the, the member of God's church that you're supposed to be. You're taking the energy that God has given you to be who you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to do, and you're using it to hide. You're using it to keep a secret. You're using it to wear a mask. And you may look great from the outside. You may be considered a leader. There may be people going, man, they are awesome. Maybe people going, they are getting it done. You may seem like you're getting it done, just like the church at Ephesus. But you've got secret sin in you. And what Psalm 32 just said is that it is rot to your bones. It's a cancer eating you from the inside. Every day, day and night, the hand of the Holy Spirit is heavy upon you because of that sin. And you're drying up, wasting away in the desert. Hiding is exhausting. Secrets are exhausting. Beloved, it's not why Jesus came. It's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come so that you would be chained to this stuff. 
Jesus didn't come so that you would use what he's given you to, to be who you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to be on hiding. Jesus didn't come and die and defeat death in the grave and hell and raise again so that you can hide, so that you can wear a mask, so that you can keep a secret. The Bible says he came for freedom, to give us freedom, to rescue us from all that. If this is you, if, if you've got secret sin in your life, if you're hiding, if you're wearing the mask, listen, my heart breaks for you. I'm not, there's no judgment in me about this. My heart, my heart breaks for you because you've got so much more. So much more that God wants to give you. So much more that God wants you to be. So much more life for you to walk in. You're wasting it. You're stuck. Listen, if this is you, Jesus wrote you a letter. He wrote you a letter about this. Look, look at what he said at the end of the letter. He said in verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. If you have the ear for it, if you have the humility for it, if you're willing to be changed, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And then that last part is so important for you and so important for me. It's not the one who believes that will be granted the right to eat of the tree of God in the paradise of God. In other words, live with Jesus forever in heaven. It's not the one who believes. It's not the one who agrees. It's not the one who with intellectual assent goes, yeah, I think Jesus actually existed. And yes, I know what I'm supposed to do and what, what this means. No, it's not the one who believes. He goes, this is the, the person who what? Conquers. Everybody say conquers. The four of you who said it first, you actually just conquered. So good job. You did it. You're going to make it to heaven. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it's the one who conquers who gets to eat of the tree of life, the one who perseveres, endures, finishes the race, keeps the faith. It doesn't fall to preference over purpose and methods over mission and, and religious action and, and over repentance and a relationship with Jesus. Hiding behind a mask instead of confessing What's happening in their lives saying, I've messed up, I need Jesus. That's what conquering is. Conquering is just, it's confessing, repenting, asking Jesus for help. I know you, I know you have a lot of doubts. If, you, if you've got secret sin in your life, you've got a lot of doubts. You don't, it's hard to see how it would be a benefit to tell somebody about it, how it would be a benefit to, to confess these things open, like openly, like the church at Ephesus did in Acts 19. It's, it's hard to see, but my, my prayer for you is that you, would, that you would conquer those doubts. That by the power of the Holy Spirit today, you would be deemed, you would be considered a conqueror. And that you would gain the right to eat of the tree of life. I have some exciting news for you, Great Oaks. Jesus wrote us a letter. 
You know what it says? It says you can be doing all the right things and still be wrong. It says that radical repentance is an ongoing, never-ending thing. It says that coming clean about the darkness and the sin that you keep secret, that that's not something we should ever grow out of, not something we should ever move on from. It says that it's not the one who hides, but the one who conquers that will see eternity with Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy today that you are faithful to speak to us every time we gather, every time we open your word and we have ears to hear. That's my prayer today that those of us who would struggle with secret sin, with darkness inside of us, things that we're hiding from others, the masks that we're wearing, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us today that we would be conquerors instead of those who hide, those who conquer instead of those who hide. That's what I pray today, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, by your supernatural power, you would overcome doubts and questioning and that every person in here would would confess those things to, to you, God, and that they would find someone that loves them and confess them to that person as well, a brother, a sister, a spouse, somebody who loves them and will show them grace. I pray that they get whatever is dark, whatever is hiding in the darkness, that they would take that and they would put it in the light because your light overcomes darkness every single time. So let us leave here, God, today, not continuing to hide, but actually help us to do something that we can't come back from. (laughs) Take a risk. Be raw and gritty like that church in Ephesus was at the beginning. Take a risk and come openly to somebody and say something and get some help and ask for forgiveness. Just pray that we, we do something today, God, that moves us closer to you and us. It's in your holy and your precious name that I pray. Everybody said... Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for you today about the sin that is no doubt hiding within your heart, within your life. I pray that may you be honest with yourself about it. May you be honest with God about it. May you be honest with someone who loves you about that sin that's in your life. And when you do that, may you find the freedom of Christ to be like the releasing of a dam deep within your soul, that it, that it just overwhelms any doubts and any darkness and anything brought from the darkness to the light. May it be conquered in the name of Jesus. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. As always, talk this over with your life group. Stop at Connection Central if you're not in a life group. We'd love to get you connected with one. We've got prayer workers at the side during this song and right after this song. They'd love to pray with you about anything. My challenge to you is the same each week, that you would not let this stop with you. That just like you were helped today to take your next step towards God, you would go out and you would help others take their next steps towards God. That you would be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. Don't miss next week as we get into letter number two.
to Smyrna. God bless.